So good to be back here again. Love this place. And um, <clears throat> yeah, we, uh, uh, it's great to have the Living Faith Clearwater Connection. Uh, we'll have to talk more later. Um, so you can see up here, our theme for this tour is journey with God and kind of the whole baggage thing and journey through life. And, and as Brittany was sharing her testimony as well, just how the Lord is with us in this journey. And uh, we are actually on a seven-week ministry tour. And uh, so we are, we have four weeks left. Four weeks from today is our last stop. Uh, our original plan was to go all the way to the East Coast, but uh, things kept shutting down as we were making plans. So we've made it to Manitoba. It's like Prince Edward Island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I'm sure they have blizzards like this out there all the time. <laughs> so anyway, it's been really good. Love the team. Um, and uh, we're going to be in the Steinbach, Winnipeg area for uh, almost three more weeks still. And uh, just are really blessed to be able to be here today. I did leave uh, a couple of things I just want to make note of on the back table there. Uh, we went on a 10-day ministry tour in the fall to BC, out all the way to Victoria. And uh, I kind of go through a bit of what that looks like in the newsletter that's back there, if you're interested in kind of what that, uh, what we do on these tours. And uh, there's also just some other information about the college. We do have one, two, three, and four-year programs uh, with the option of a worship emphasis in the first two years. And uh, yeah, up to a four full year Bachelor of Theology degree. And so if the Lord is calling you or someone you know to Bible college, we would certainly welcome um, their application. We have Paul serving on our board, which is a great privilege as well. Also, April 22nd to 24th, we have a youth retreat happening out at the college. So if there are any youth that want to head out west in April, it's going to be a great time. We actually have Danny Mackay, who is based out of Winnipeg. He's going to be the speaker. And uh, we're really excited for that. We're going to be spending a couple of days with him in Winnipeg doing evangelism uh, next week, I believe it is. So uh, come on out. We'd love to have you. We haven't had a youth retreat in three years. <laughs> we're excited. So good. All right. <clears throat> I want to share about the fruit of the Spirit. At least a little bit about it. Um, in Galatians chapter 5 is where we find the passage that speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. And probably some in this room have memorized that passage. And what Paul does is he's contrasting the flesh and the Spirit. And the Spirit, of course, being the Holy Spirit that is uh, working in us. And as we, uh, if we belong to the Lord, um, if we've placed our trust in Him, the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And He is working in us to conform us into the image of Christ. And so that's the spirit. The flesh is us without Christ. That's when we don't have the spirit, when, the, when we're not operating um, with the spirit, we're operating out of the flesh. And the results of that are not good. Uh, so what I want to do is actually take a few of the, the fruit of the spirit that are mentioned in Galatians 5. I'm not going to go through all of them. We just don't have time for that. But I'm going to touch on the first couple of them and, and just highlight what it looks like for these characteristics to be in God. See, because if, if we don't understand 
how these characteristics are reflected in, in who God is, if we don't understand the biblical understanding of these words, we can get some warped ideas. And this is where definitions of words is really important. So in the scriptures, for example, the first uh, item mentioned in Galatians 5 is love. Love is a prominent topic in the scriptures. Uh, John 3.16, one of the most popular verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. You probably heard that at weddings uh, and other places. 1 John 4.8, God is love, right? The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is throughout the scriptures. It's, it's an important theme. It's prominent, but it's also prominent in the world, this idea of love. You've probably heard the phrase, love is love, which uh, is, I think, meant to mean that it doesn't matter who you love, it's just love. It's the same thing. Love is love, right? And, and in, in the world's understanding of love, love is, is generally understood to mean that you want someone to be truly happy and you'll do whatever you can to make that happen. So, if Paul likes to eat asparagus, if I love him, I will make asparagus for him. It is good, I agree. Um, <clears throat> so, in, in, in the world, love is manifested as tolerance, so someone may have different ideas uh, than you do, and so you tolerate those ideas. Um, maybe they behave in a way that you don't, that you wouldn't necessarily behave, but if you love them and you want them to be happy, you're, you're good with that. You're okay with that as long as they're happy, right? And uh, what's become even more prevalent in recent years is this whole area of advocacy, right? So if I, um, if I hate asparagus and if asparagus is really bad for you, if I really love Paul, I will still declare to everybody that everybody should be able to have asparagus if they want asparagus, even if it's really bad for you, right? Because I want Paul to be happy, okay? So, so the problem here is if we take the world's definition, the world's understanding of a word, say love, and we apply that definition to the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, and we somehow think now we are fulfilling that commandment, that's a problem because we're applying the world's definition to that rather than the scripture's definition to that. We think we're fulfilling the commandment when we're not necessarily doing that. That's not to say there isn't some overlap in those definitions, but it's really important for us that we understand what the word tells us because it says this is the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of Jean. It's not the fruit of Paul. It's not the fruit of Marla or any of you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit um, develops in us and works in us. So these are characteristics that the Lord has. And so for us to understand it, let's look at what it looks like in the Lord's life. So I'm going to read Galatians chapter 5, uh, verses 16 to 26. It says, So I say, live by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is... So sinful nature is that word flesh. The NIV translates it as sinful nature. 
For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just pause there for a second. We're at a time in our nation where we're, we are very divided. This division isn't just politically. Um, it is found within our churches and within our families. And uh, I just want to highlight here how many of these words speak about division. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. If the fruit of our lives is resulting in division in the church, we are not living by the Spirit. It doesn't matter what your opinions are about government, vaccinations, restrictions. If the fruit of our lives is division, we are not following the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Okay, so I'm going to take um, just the first few of these and explore what these gifts look like, or these, this fruit looked like in, in God or in Jesus. And the first one there is love. So love, in a general sense, it's affection and benevolence and so on. You can, you can do a much deeper word study on that. But how does God practice love? So again, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.16. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. The, um, he, he practices love by giving life. The greatest manifestation of love is to give life. So what does that look like? It doesn't mean we don't want people to be happy. It's not like it's in complete contradiction to the world's understanding of love. But it's, it's at a much deeper level. So, for example, let me just um, give you a, a basic example of, of what this would look like. So, if my three-year-old son, Elijah, decides to run outside and play on the road, play on, the, the, on Main Street, let's say on a day where, you know, it is drivable, <laughs> and there's traffic, if I purely just want him to be happy and not make him upset... I won't stop him from doing that. Even though I recognize there's danger, even though I know it's not good for him, you know, I might, I might say it or something, but, but if I want life to be the primary 
issue that I'm focused on. I'm going to go and take him off of that road and he's going to be kicking and screaming and yelling at me and that's okay because I'm saving his life. I'm giving him life. The focus is life. We're called to love God with all of our being. We're called to love others as we love ourselves. We're called to love our enemies. <laughs> Nervous laughter. <laughs> love our enemies. So what, what do we do? Well, we share about life. This is why we proclaim the gospel. It's all about life. We give of our own lives for the sake of others, just as Jesus did. It doesn't mean it's enjoyable. Uh, sometimes it can be, for sure. But we give so that others might have life. We don't condemn, we forgive. These are all about giving life to others. See, our, our goal in this fruit of the Spirit being manifested in our lives is so that others would experience the life that is found in God. That's what we want. That's what this fruit is meant to produce, that others can experience the life of God. That's the giving of life. In the closest relationship that exists in humanity between a husband and a wife, even manifested in that love is the giving of life. That is the greatest manifestation of love. Then we have joy. So joy certainly can be happiness or gladness. How does God practice this? Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. So perhaps the greatest manifestation of joy is to embrace suffering for a higher purpose. I'm not saying that we just stand around and, oh, let's suffer. Let's suffer together. It's so wonderful. No, I'm not saying that. And neither am I saying that all suffering is, is just meant to be passively endured. There are times where, you know, the enemy, we know, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and Jesus comes to have life. But in the midst of a trial, I'm convinced that the enemy has his agenda, and the Lord has his purposes, that he can work through that. James chapter 1 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That includes any kind of trial. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So we can rejoice because we know that the Lord is at work. That doesn't mean it's easy, but we can rejoice because there is something greater coming. See, when Jesus, when he, he looked ahead, and I think one of the songs refers to that, but he, he looked ahead, he saw there was, there was good things that, was going, that were going to come out of this. Of course, the redemption of mankind, and surely he was very pleased with that, and that brought him joy. But also we read in the Psalms that in your presence is fullness of joy. And Jesus knew he would be reunited with his Father at the right hand of the throne of God. And there was fullness of joy that he was looking forward to. 
And we know that in our trials, we can rejoice because the Lord, he has promised to be with us. The beginning of Matthew, we read about his name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And the very last verse says of the book of Matthew, so it kind of bookends the entire book, is, and surely I will be with you to the very end of the age. The presence of God is with us. We have his presence, and in your presence is fullness of joy. And so we can know that while we're enduring these difficult things, the Lord is at work continuing to conform us to the image of his Son, and he's drawing us to himself, and we can look with hope towards that day that we'll actually be in his presence in its fullness. Ah, so good. That's why we don't mourn as those who have no hope. Because there's joy to come. First Peter 4.13 says, But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Again, it's looking forward. It's not... It's not that, yay, we just get to suffer. No, there's a purpose. There's something that the Lord is actually working to bring about something better in the end. Um, and one other verse I'll, I'll read here is Philippians 3.10. Sure it's in here somewhere. Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. See, as we share in the sufferings of Christ, we also share in his resurrection. This is the great joy that we have in the Lord. All right, peace. This is that state of being that basically is like, I don't lack anything. Tranquility. Not fear of being troubled in that state. How does God practice this? God is called the God of peace. It's just a state of being for him. And he grants it to us. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And I know that we all need his peace. This is what it looks like. In Matthew chapter 8, also in Mark chapter 4, I won't read it, but I'll kind of go over the story. You have Jesus and the disciples in the boat, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. And a storm comes up, and... The wind and the waves are beating against the boat. And the disciples, these are experienced fishermen, they are afraid. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping in the boat. And you can tell they're rather bothered by this whole experience because they're like, don't you care that we're going to die? And he's like, peace, be still. Why did you lack faith? And then they were terrified again because they just witnessed this 
man calm the wind and the waves? Who is this guy? Peace is sleeping in the boat when the wind and the waves rage around, having full confidence that the Father's got you. That's what peace looks like for Jesus. This is the fruit of the Spirit. So perhaps the greatest manifestation of peace is really to trust the Lord's sovereignty in your life. To trust that he's got you. And it doesn't make sense sometimes. It really doesn't. You know, sometimes... It's happened, it's happened to me, it's probably happened to some of you, where there's a situation where, where someone else is really anxious about what's going on, and you just have this peace, and they're like, don't you care? And, well, yeah, of course I care, but I know God's got this. I have full confidence in him. I've, I've got peace. I've got the peace. And it can come across as though you don't actually care, like the disciples and Jesus. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So when that anxiety comes, it's telling us, okay, bring it to the Lord. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, doesn't make sense. In the moment, it doesn't make sense that someone could have that kind of peace. Transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an incredible promise. He's told us he'll give us his peace. That peace where you can sleep in the boat. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Bring our cares to the Lord. Make them known to him. And trust him that he's got you. You look at the story of Joseph in Genesis and sold into slavery by his brothers, falsely accused by Potiphar's life, forgotten about in prison, yet remaining faithful to the Lord. And through that faithfulness, the Lord raises him up to save a nation. And in the end, his commentary wasn't, oh man, you know, I went through... It was, it was terrible. It was awful. All of this, and you guys did this to me, and this and that. And, and, but, you know, in the end, uh, yeah, I was able to, to come out. He, and not to say that that would necessarily be bad to say that, but his comment, this sums up the whole story. Genesis 50, verse 20, where it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended this for the good, to accomplish what's being done, the saving of many lives. He recognized the Lord was in it all. We can recognize that too, Romans 8, 28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Does God have you in the midst of the storm? Yeah, yeah he does. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying we're, you know, always going to be sleeping in the boat. But that is what that peace looks like. And he's promised that to us. This is the fruit of the Spirit. This tranquility, where it's like, no, God's got me. God's got me. Isaiah 55, 12 talks about us being, you will go out with joy and be led forth in peace. Isn't that great? 
I'm going to end it there. I know there are six more. But we're out of time. Perhaps next time we'll do part two. Let's pray and uh, and we'll pass it back here. Actually, team, you can come come up. Sorry, I don't think I communicated this. Pick one of your songs that you did earlier. We're going to do a, we'll just do that same song, whichever one you want to do. Yeah, if you want to come on up. That's my fault. Yeah, has been a morning. Father, so grateful that you have given us your spirit. You've promised your Holy Spirit to those who trust in Jesus. And Lord, I pray um, for us that you would create in us a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Lord, where we are off track, where we're maybe living more by the flesh than by the spirit, Lord, would you work, work that in us? Would you help us to crucify the flesh? You've called us to do that. Not just sweep it under the rug or put it in the closet, but actually crucify it. Brutally deal with it to the point of it dying. And that by your spirit, there would be life that comes into us, that makes us more and more like your son. We want to be in step with the spirit. And so Lord, I pray that we would have that love that gives life, that joy that can endure trials, that peace that can sleep through the storm. I pray your blessing on each one here. And Lord, whatever you may be speaking to them, whatever you may be revealing to them, Lord, I pray that you would um, complete the good work that you started. Thank you that you promised that you would. In Jesus' name.